Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm your host, Jem Taduchu. And what we're doing this time round, I'm not quite sure what Greg's going to ultimately call it. It could be the problem with historical accuracy. It could be Netflix and historical accuracy, or it could be Bridgerton versus The Crown. All of these are valid names for this particular episode because I'm going to be using largely Netflix to talk about something that, if there is a thread linking all of this stuff, you know, every single time I say, and I haven't actually said it yet, Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. The point is, there's real history there. Now, some people play fast and loose with it. Some people, they take inspiration and run with it. And all of that is valid to create art. But historical accuracy is the key part of any of these conversations. If people weren't interested in what have I seen on the screen versus what actually happened in history, what is recorded, then this podcast would probably have... I actually have no listeners because my mother listened to it at the beginning and then she's gone off to do other things. <laughs> my sister, I think, gritted her teeth for a couple of episodes. Thank you both. You're both amazing. But they are not counting up for our numbers at the moment, so I guess it'd be zero. But people want to see how history has inspired art or what is actual history and so on and so forth. Hello, welcome. I hope you enjoy this one because I might say some things that you'll find kind of unusual, perhaps even almost counterintuitive. So what spurred me on about this, because I wasn't even planning on recording this one. This is absolutely true. Basically, I just finished recording the previous episode and I'm not quite sure what order they're in, so I don't want to accidentally say the wrong one. But literally, I just finished a podcast and I was coming downstairs to have some lunch and my wife had been patiently waiting for me. I overran. And she was sitting there watching Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story. And this got us having a conversation about it. And so I sat there and watched some more of it and sort of was taking some mental notes. And here I am now talking to you about what just happened to me. The thing that might surprise you is I don't have a problem with the historical accuracy in something like Bridgerton, or specifically I can talk about Queen Charlotte, because what did you get at the beginning of the episode? You get Julie Andrews, you get a narrator, and you also get 
an actual title board that basically says this isn't historically accurate. Changes have been made. And therefore, it's a warning for people to not take this too seriously. At that point, it's like, fine, now that you've warned everybody that this is fantastical, go for it. Do whatever you want. It is far more dangerous when you have something, I'm going to say it again because it's just the classic example to do, something like Braveheart. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Which starts quoting dates, so it looks like they've done the numbers, but actually it is made up as Bridgerton. Bridgerton is being honest about this, Braveheart isn't, which is why I have a huge grudge against that movie, as do many historians for the record. So I need to know what the tone of all of this is. And there's a podcast that's going to be coming out soon to alert you. I'll, I'll tell you right now. My new book, which has taken years not to write, but to get it to a publisher, to get them to agree to it, which led to major changes. And so my new book, which is coming out in September, of which, like I say, whole podcast giving you the full shebang about it, but it's called Hollywood and History what the movies got wrong from ancient Greece to Vietnam. So in other words, each chapter is a different era of history, using a whole bunch of Hollywood movies to reflect that era of history, and I turn around and say, well, they got this wrong, or this is the reason why it turned out that way, and so on and so forth. So it's a little bit about the history of the production of some of these movies, but also a little bit of history being shoved in there as well. So it's basically the book version of this podcast, and yeah, I do tear into Braveheart in that one. It's kind of a given, but you can see that this is something popular enough for it to be. This is the first time I've got an American publisher. This is why changes had to be made. I had to add extra stuff for the American marketplace, but also the whole thing got Americanized as well. So at one point there's a story about football. That won't mean anything to Americans, so it, I have to admit slightly hurt me inside that the, the phrase football got changed to soccer and other considerations to localize it, which is fair enough. I mean, I think it's still very readable. You can hear a whole bunch of that some other time. But this is the thing. I feel quite passionately that you've got to be open and honest about what the intent is. So in the opening of the book, I say, look, there are basically three types of historically inaccurate movies. I use 300, I use Braveheart, and I use Hero as examples. So with 300, the movie is based on a comic book by Frank Miller. And that comic book by Frank Miller was inspired when he was a little kid when he saw the movie The 300 Spartans, which was sort of like a 1960s sword and sandal epic, which was the American Hollywood version of the Battle of Thermopylae. So we go from movie to comic book to movie again to then actual history. That is a lot of different filters to get from what you're seeing on screen now to what actually happened around about two and a half thousand years ago. It's actually surprisingly accurate in terms of what happened and when the chain of events is actually fairly accurate. And even a few of the cool lines of the Spartans make it into the movie because they do sound like action hero kind of lines. The Spartans were that way inclined. But it looks completely wrong but also it literally has monsters in it 
So as soon as we got monsters in it, that should be a warning to you that this is more like Lord of the Rings than it is a gritty drama and documentary, okay? And I love 300. This is an example of something doesn't have to be historically accurate to be a good movie. And as I've said in a number of occasions with Braveheart, moving on to that one, I've just said it there. The problem I have with Braveheart is there is this illusion of veneer of like we've done our homework, but actually it's just as fantastical as 300. And then Hero is a Chinese movie, which is loosely based on some real history about the first emperor of China and how there was an assassination attempt against him by a completely unnamed, unknown assassin who had, and I love this little detail, a weaponized lute, as in a sort of musical instrument. He was going to kill him with basically a guitar. Unclear how. People seem to think that maybe there was a heavy weight, like an iron bar or something like that, in the lute, so he could basically club him to death. Failed. And that just that one few lines in one chronicle has been turned into a whole movie. But this, it's a, it is a beautiful movie. If you have not seen Hero starring Jet Li, which is a movie I have referenced before, I believe it's in the John Wick one and Ip Man one as well, because it's got Donnie Yen in it. The point is, it is beautiful. It is there again to be aesthetically wonderful rather than this is second century BC accurate clothing, architecture, etc. And actually, the reason why this one is historically inaccurate is because it's part of the Chinese Communist Party's output. And basically, the message is, why shouldn't you kill me? Because China needs a strong leader, which is obviously a dotted line to the Communist Party of China. And so, yeah, fine. Okay, that makes sense. So the first one is because it's an artistic reason. The second one is slightly insidious reason because we kind of want to trick you. And the third one is actually fairly blatant, so less tricksy than Braveheart, about this is coming from a particular political point of view, and therefore it is going to be altered to suit us. And therefore, we're going to gloss over some parts of the history. There is also almost no actual history around that one. So there we go. Those are the three points that I make in the opening of that book. If that sounds good, then like I say each chapter's on a different era. So I have a collection, a clump of movies, like the first one is all to do with the ancient world, hence why we go from ancient Greece. And then the last chapter is about Vietnam. And so, you know, I talk about movies like Platoon in it and what have you. But I obviously only talk about movies. I, I don't even talk about all historical movies because that would be a very, very, very large book. So I just cherry pick stuff to guide you through the things to watch out for in that book. Whereas the flip side with something like TV is, yeah, I mean, if this sells well, this sounds like a good idea. Absolutely, I could do another book about TV shows and historical accuracy, or even perhaps in a way more interestingly and a little less obviously, video games and how they portray actual history. Not so much historical events, but sort of things like mythology as well. Looking at you, God of War. So, going all the way back to the wonderful world of Bridgerton and Julie Andrews, the fact that she says at the beginning that basically we've made up a whole load of stuff, she doesn't quite put it that way, it is more poetically written, means I'll give it a huge pass. If anybody's sitting there thinking that this is history, they've done everything they possibly can to say watch out. The other thing I found really interesting is that basically a mother of one of my kids' friends, who I get on with so well, she is a woman of colour, and at that time, this is going back a few years, I went, oh yeah, Bridgerton, I've heard about that. And she was really enjoying it. And I asked her, I went, so I had a feeling that it was about real history, but when I asked her, a woman of colour, living in Britain, I said, what's it about? And she goes, oh, it's about this fantasy world where everybody sort of dresses up in old-timey clothing, and they have various adult adventures with each other. And it's like, I just thought to myself, 
Okay, fine. So you are putting it into fantasy. So the same classification as something like Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power kind of thing, or something like Game of Thrones. And you know what? That's exactly the right place to stick it. So the thing that kind of tickles me about all of this is let's talk about the elephant in the room. We've obviously got the element of race here. So Queen Charlotte is played by India Armataifio. I hope I've got that surname right. And she's great in the role. The thing about young Queen Charlotte meeting a young King George is the story is like a fairy tale. It is tonally more like Cinderella where or Sleeping Beauty and there's a Prince Charming in there somewhere than it is about a gritty view of Georgian England. That's for sure. But the way the two of them play off each other is slightly unsure of each other and they're slowly circling each other. And she's luminous as this. But obviously, as you might have guessed from the name, the actress playing Queen Charlotte, she is a woman of colour. Fine. But when she's playing Queen Charlotte of Mecklenburg-Strelitz, and we got paintings of what Queen Charlotte looked like, she's not black. And so we're into the same area of something like Hamilton. And like Hamilton, again, this might surprise you, I will give it a pass. Because they're not sitting there screaming out, look at me, look at how many different people of ethnic minorities we've got in this place where clearly it was only full of white people back in the 1700s. But we already know it's a fantasy. And the question is, is the scene about race or is the scene about two star-crossed lovers? And if it's about the latter, then it doesn't matter about the, the race of these people either. It's just, are they good actors and am I enjoying the scene? And something like Bridgerton is like, I'll call it a frappuccino, okay? It's just a frothy bit of sugary fun. Everything is wrong. This is a classic example of all of the outfits kind of look sort of of the time, but you get a fashion historian and they'll just list endless errors. Number one being all of these fabrics are clearly modern fabrics and you're even using synthetics there. Everything would have been silk or wool or cotton, maybe. So there are all these elements there. The actual fabrics would have been coarser because they wouldn't have had industrial looms to get the very fine weave on this stuff. But you did not tune into this for me to be talking about textile history, so I'll move off from that. So it's like, can you get any history from this stuff? Well, apart from the fact that King George III indeed married Queen Charlotte, and he's the King of England, or technically the King of Britain by now because we've got the unification of the crowns. Nope, not really. I mean, the other thing that's really cute is you get their wedding, which is a very small affair. I have to have to be honest about this. I mean, I know it costs a fortune and it's incredibly difficult to film on location in some of these very old palaces. And they've got Hampton Court and they've also got Blenheim Palace, which they're using as locations. And these are truly impressive locations, which, again, love to see them on the screen because I used to work for the tourist board and every time you get one of these amazing architectural palaces, you know, something that just doesn't exist in America and other such places. It's considered exotic in somewhere like China. And this is streamed all around the world. You always get a peak of activity, like a year later. People watch this stuff and think, huh, been a while since I've been to Britain or I've never been to Britain. Oh, I want to see that cool place which has been on that TV show. 
obviously we've recently had things like the coronation as well all of this stuff helps to wave the flag of like hey do you want to come here do you want to spend your tourist dollars here well technically sterling here in britain rather than going to france or going to germany other places have palaces and so on and so forth but it's great to see this stuff and it is helping the british economy in some way obviously these places are incredibly expensive to maintain and therefore handing out these permits for people to film there gonna be expensive for netflix to do that but it helps keep the architecture the culture the history of britain alive and well for the next generation to look at it so there is benefits all over the place here but what amused me is how the two of them are being so sort of tentative with each other on their wedding night now this is something that amused me because I had to go off and actually check, but I knew it was a point of historical record that Charlotte and George loved each other very much, and they had a bunch of children. If you asked me how many they had, I would have guessed, I don't know, eight to ten? Turns out they loved each other even more than that because they had 15 children. Okay, and that's not including any kind of sort of stillbirth or anything like that that wouldn't have been recorded as an official heir to the throne or something. 15 kids and two of those ended up becoming kings in britain and weirdly just a weird quirk both of them were the fourth there was george the fourth and there was william the fourth and william the fourth basically hung on long enough to allow victoria to come to the throne so there is george one two three and then four and then we go on to william the fourth and then we go to victoria and just from that line we go from the early 1700s to 1901 that is a huge stretch of time that is linked to the hanoverian dynasty so these are the germans that came in after the death of queen anne because yeah we we need to have some protestant rulers and so yeah let's let's get in these germans who are vaguely related to the rest of the family which is why we talk about how german the royal family is today but you wouldn't necessarily get that looking at the cosmopolitan collection of people at the church when they're getting married so yes they are getting married in a genuine old location this is not being filmed on a soundstage but at the same time we're talking about the king getting married and it's a very small affair so that's kind of amusing it's sort of like well look there's royal budgets particularly in the 1700s when britain's got an empire and then there's netflix budgets which are big but they ain't royal big so from a perspective of a historian's life that's a very small intimate affair whereas they're trying to splash as much cash across the screen as possible and they're also getting married in the wrong place just just for the record on that but then they're not sure about they basically don't consummate things on the wedding night and it's like well get on with it because you've got 15 kids to sire and she has been left at blenheim palace whereas he has gone to Kew, which is genuinely where george loved living and there's even a line in it saying, I built this for you. It's like, no, you really haven't. It's quite famous that Blenheim Palace is the only palace in the whole of British history that was built for a general and his successes. This is for the first Duke of Marlborough, a man called John Churchill. Yeah, his great-great-great-great-grandson was Winston. But it was built by a, a happy nation for all the battles that he won in the War of Austrian Succession. And then actually i think it's spanish succession i always confuse those two i apologize succession was going on france was taking over most of europe britain got involved and basically john churchill was so good that he managed to stop 
the basically unstoppable French army. So yeah, let's give them a palace for that. And then at the end of the wedding ceremony, there they are in the state carriage, which is a copy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Of the state carriage that you saw Charles III come back from his coronation, you know, the one absolutely dripping with gold that has to be pulled by eight horses because it weighs something like four tons and cannot go up any kind of incline because the horses just can't pull that much weight. Everybody who's been in it when it's moving says it is seasick inducing, but who cares? You're in a massive gold carriage, and that had only just been made because it was given, again by a grateful nation, to George III, who just happened to be the king at the end of the Seven Years' War when we once again beat the French. This was one of the first examples of what could be described as a world war because genuinely there's fighting in North America. This was the last war that America fought as a British colony. A very young lieutenant called George Washington was fighting on behalf of the British crown during the Seven Years' War. That changed. Oh, the US Rangers, an elite force, was created for the Seven Years' War, which is known as the Indian-French War in America. But this is also the time of Frederick the Great, who was on our side. So he was fighting the European powers in continental Europe, we were fighting the French in North America, on the oceans, Quiberon Bay. Admiral Hawke sort of like annihilates the French Navy, you know, second only to Nelson in terms of the amount of victories over the French Navy there. And then also on into India as well and the Caribbean. So yeah, that sounds like a world war to me. I don't know about you. So anyway, I digress. So you've got these elements that tie in real world history, real world monarchical royal history to what's going on in this show, but at the same time, nobody's actually acting the way they actually acted as a point of reference. But again, don't have a problem with that. They told you this is a fantasy. My wife pointed out to me that actually there's a bit of a cheat code to make various bits of dialogue sound old-timey, you know, from a different era. 
And you see this a lot in both Bridgerton and in Queen Charlotte and in lots of other things where basically somebody will say a very clipped phrase and then is it not at the end? And just by putting it, is it not, which is not the way we talk nowadays and indeed isn't the way they talked 250 years ago either, but it makes it sound old timey. Is it not? I've been so swept up in this that I forgot to tell you. I told you who played Queen Charlotte. Now George III is played by Corey Milchrist. I think that's how you pronounce his surname. Hey, my surname's Daduchu. I'm not saying that, you know. It would be, I guess, easier if the whole world's surnames were Smith, but also equally confusing. But to give you an idea, I said they're a cute couple, these sort of star-crossed lovers. Oh, isn't it sweet? But here's the thing. You want to know how hot Corrie is? Well, a few weeks ago, or a few episodes ago, I did an episode on The Sandman, also on Netflix. I like that one. But he, in The Sandman, plays Adonis. So if you play Adonis, you've got to be a good-looking chap. So that's how good-looking he was. And with all due respects to George III, nobody ever thought that he was an Adonis. Now, he, he was considered a nice guy. He was a, a popular king. He's well-remembered for having these bouts of insanity later on, you know, the madness of King George. So, yeah, there, there's that element that's quite famous, but that didn't come on till quite late in his actual reign. And what's interesting is he ruled from around about 1760 all the way through past the Napoleonic Wars to about 1820. He was one of the longest reigning male monarchs in the, all of British history, which means that Queen Charlotte was the longest running queen consort. So that's the queen to a king, as opposed to a Queen Victoria or Queen Elizabeth II, who was basically a queen on their own. So Charlotte, incredibly important woman in British history. So I think I've talked a lot about the, the wonderful world of, of Bridgerton and the world of Queen Charlotte. The other thing I'm going to say about Bridgerton is a little bit like Game of Thrones. What kind of brought it to the attention of everybody is, yes, there's this multi-ethnicity going on here. But like I say, it's not done with a nod and a wink. Every time that's done, it always fails. And this is the same thing with Hamilton. They just get on with telling you the story. Yes, you've got somebody that clearly is of a different ethnicity of this actual historical figure from American history. Fine. But the point is they're just getting on with actually acting that way, be it Lafayette, be it George Washington, be it Alexander Hamilton, whatever. You get the idea. Madison, obviously, etc. So there is, however, problems with this because Netflix doesn't always get it right. The other thing I was going to say about the fantastical element, or I got slightly sidetracked, is everybody was very sexy, particularly in the first couple of series of Bridgerton, and there was an awful lot of adult time, steaminess, and uh, I, it was sure exactly the right level for the ladies to go, ooh, rather than it being so graphic, it's like, ugh. Like early Game of Thrones, it's like, we don't necessarily have the budget to show you things, but quick, I'll distract you with some, some nudity there. There we go. Fine, you know, do you know what? Everybody's naked under their clothes, and all these people, I'm sure at some point, did. Well, I mean, we, we've got the facts there. Fifteen kids between the two of them, of course, they're going to have, they're going to get it on, basically. Right, fine. I'm now sort of done with the wonderful world of Bridgerton. But Netflix has this kind of love-hate relationship with historical accuracy. So, 
as I've said in the past, and I'm just going to skim past this super fast, there is this documentary series that just basic. I did this in the Atlantis episode. Basically, this is whole stuff about uh, ancient civilizations, etc., etc. No serious historian or archaeologist thinks any of that's true. And that one's dangerous because it's not under the category of like fantasy or drama. It's under the category of documentary. It's just made up. It, you know, it, it is as fantastical as Bridgerton. In fact, Bridgerton at least is vaguely based on some actual history rather than just claiming there's a secret civilization of which there is no evidence for whatsoever. That stuff's dangerous. And that brings me on to the other one that sort of became controversial in 2023, which was Netflix's documentary about, or docudrama series, I should say, about Cleopatra. And again, this is where, you know, I do have a problem with this because now we're not fantastical. And if you start a docudrama series by going, the writers have changed history wherever they want, and it is a deliberate choice. Something like that is said at the start of, of the Bridgerton stuff. Fine, okay, that's my get out of jail. But why would I ever watch a documentary that starts with, we've made stuff up? It's like, that's the opposite of what you want from a documentary. Now, the weird thing about this Cleopatra documentary series is, apart from the ethnicity of Cleopatra in it, the rest of it, actually, fine. It's quite a vanilla retelling of the story of Cleopatra VII. Yeah, she wasn't the first Cleopatra. When I say Cleopatra VII, I mean the famous one. Mark Antony commits suicide, end of the whole Egyptian dynasty, yada, yada, yada. So this is the thing. And I've heard Jada Pinkett Smith, you know, the, the wife of Will Smith, she's one of the producers of the show. And she, she basically says there are so many amazing black women in history that we just don't talk about and i absolutely 100 percent agree with that i've written two whole books on like unknown bits of history and a lot of it is loaded with women that have been forgotten by history and a lot of those women not all of them are of different ethnicities other than white okay so yeah 100 percent agreed but cleopatra wasn't black and so when you start talking about these black queens of the past that aren't talked about, don't then start changing the ethnicity of somebody that wasn't that ethnicity in a documentary. Again, if you want to do Cleopatra meets Bridgerton, it's like, we've decided to change everything. And it's just a straight drama. And, and therefore, yeah, at that point, if you're upfront about this guy, we've played fast and loose with history, but we're here to entertain you now. Sit back and enjoy. No notes. You, after that, you go for it. Do whatever you think is fun and fine. But that's not the point of a documentary. The point of a documentary is meant to you're meant to get your facts right. And there's been this huge debate, this pushback guy, but we don't know what ethnicity the, the mother was. That may be true, but part of that doesn't guarantee that they were black. Lots of intermarrying in, this, in these families. But as you go back a couple of centuries, this is the Ptolemaic dynasty. And we know Ptolemy was a general of Alexander the Great. He was Greek, i.e. white. And there are plenty of black, but we know about black pharaohs and black dynasties in ancient Egypt. They actually come much earlier than the Ptolemaics, who are the last dynasty of all of them. If you want to do a story about a black pharaoh, a female black pharaoh, like Nefertiti, that would be an example. Queen Nefertiti, I should say. 
So there are examples that you could do in ancient Egypt. Why are you doing that? It's just basically trying to cause controversy for almost no reason. And indeed, it set the Egyptians wild because the Egyptians are very protective of their own history. And this is a great example. You get people in America, particularly from ethnic minorities, complaining quite rightly about cultural appropriation. If that's your rule, and I respect that rule, go for it. But then don't take something from another culture, because you ain't Egyptian, and start saying, oh, I know better than you do. That's, you know, that's the problem you're trying to stop in the first place. Have some logic with your arguments, please. I think you can tell from this way around because of the tone. This is like the Braveheart problem. You start flashing up dates, I'm assuming you've got the right dates. Turns out Braveheart got all the dates and all of the history wrong, basically. In this case, you've got something that's a documentary and yeah, it leaves a kind of sour taste in your mouth. And that's not the problem of the actress who's playing Cleopatra. The problem is the, the project in the first place, okay? And like I say, there's a little part of me when some of these, when I say where suddenly the ethnicity becomes the whole point, which is not what's going on in Bridgerton, which is not what's going on in Hamilton. Like I say, they just act the right way. But in this, because it's such a vanilla retelling of Cleopatra, there are already a ton of documentaries, ton of books, some cartoons even, and movies about the life and times of Cleopatra. There's a part of me that thinks maybe that's that's the only new thing we've got to say, which is usually the sign of it not being particularly a great idea in the first place. Now, what's interesting is in countries where people are, from British perspective or American perspective, of ethnic minorities, let's take, for example, Nigeria, India, and China, three very large, important countries around the world. They do also have ethnic diversity, but not in the same way we do it in the West. There are white people in their movies, but they're only playing white people. They don't kind of pretend that white people are basically in the Mughals of India or the various imperial courts in China. They are Westerners playing Westerners. And the other thing is they're almost invariably the bad guy, which we wouldn't dream of doing in, in Britain or in America. If you start sort of saying this race equals they are bad guys, or the <laughs> and people start shouting, getting very angry. But in other countries, it's sort of the way they just always do it. That's another thing. So I've already mentioned three div well, actually, technically, because you've got Bridgerton. Technically, Charlotte's a spin-off of Bridgerton. I've mentioned, well, I haven't given you the name, nor will I ever, the documentary series about Atlantis and that kind of stuff. And I say documentary very much with inverted commas around it, speech marks around it. And then we've got the Cleopatra one as well. But then the fifth example of this, which I, again, I've actually done a whole episode on, but I figure it's worth sort of throwing in here as well, is the wonderful world of the crown. And this was something when it first came out, I was sort of sitting there thinking, am I taking crazy pills? Am I the only one who can spot the problem here? Why do it on Queen Elizabeth II? There are so many, I mean, look, well done, finally. Like 10 years later, you're doing Queen Charlotte, who was an interesting person. And yes, she's now got her own series, even though it's playing fast and loose with actual history. Fine. But there are loads of monarchs. I mean, a great one would be the Empress Matilda in the 1100s. This is a time when women just really didn't have much chance to say anything about anyone. And she ends up having a civil war 
with another member of the family. He's King Stephen. He's kind of usurped the throne. She was meant to be queen. She's got a son who's going to end up becoming Henry II. She's now fighting a civil war first for her to become a queen, and then later on to get her son to be recognised as the rightful king of England. That's a great story. It's not one generally very well told, or very often told. Pillars of the Earth, the Follett book, that's about it, which was turned into a TV show. Great, wonderful. But that's about it. And that was 20 years ago. So, you know, let's do that one again. Or Eleanor of Aquitaine. It's been ages since she's been done. There are loads of interesting women to be done. Or indeed, there are interesting kings that you could have done it on. Edward III, he's one of the most important kings in all of English history. He's the one who started the Hundred Years' War. He had to run the country during the Black Death. So you got war, you got famine, you got strategies going on, you got issues about mercenaries. Are we going to let them come back to the country? His son dies before he dies. So it's now down to his grandson, this is the young Richard II. Loads of drama in there. To begin with, he's not even king because his mother who was obviously the wife of the king before him, Edward II, had literally fought a civil war with her husband and either killed him or imprisoned him or banished him. It's a little hazy on that one, but definitely he's out of the picture. And now she's trying to run the country with her new lover. This is a good story. Literally nobody has ever turned that into a drama series or TV show. Instead, we get Queen Elizabeth II, a woman who at the time of recording the first series was very much alive. So where's the drama? You know, if you have an episode on this could end the whole monarchy, you know, something like that. It's like, dun, 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 except it hasn't because I've just seen her on TV and she's still got a crown. So she's OK. It's like, will the assassin kill Queen Elizabeth II? No, because I've just seen her on TV and we were setting this in the 1950s. And I'm aware that they sort of wrap all the politics of the age around the story, but you're not wrapping it around the person with any power. You know, if you did it around Winston Churchill or the BBC have done recently a brilliant TV series about the Suez Crisis, which kind of ended the British Empire, which did happen at the time of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. Yes, you could you could do dramas in all these areas. So what happened was they started off with something that was kind of historically accurate. But this has gone on series after series and as the series have gone on, there's less and less to say. There's less British Empire, so suddenly it becomes a minor squabble about Tony Blair or something like that, which, you know, just isn't as interesting as something like the Suez Crisis. And so the stakes are getting smaller, the people are getting less interesting. Yes, you've got the death of Diana, that's a big deal, but again, we, we know what the outcome is because we all lived through it. The people watching this stuff aren't tweens, they are you know, people in their 30s and 40s who remember the death of Diana. So who's this for exactly? I know it's very popular. I know it's been lavish with a whole load of praise for a time. But as it's moved on through the series, tonally it's changed from what was originally a sort of kind of historically accurate drama to now just outright fantasy. It's gone the way of Bridgerton, except at no point did they start whacking up the cards at the beginning saying, we've changed history wherever we see fit. And Yet we're actually now in the weird position of portraying actual people, you know, people really involved with this, who could in theory start suing if they start thinking that they're being portrayed in a negative way. It's a mess, is what I'm saying about The Crown. And so Netflix does, as I said, have this sort of love-hate relationship with historical accuracy. And historical accuracy as a whole, I do my best to tell you, does it really matter? 
on a uniform. They've got three buttons on the sleeve rather than the two buttons. It's all like that doesn't change the story. That kind of historical nitpicking is boring and a waste of everybody's time. Although, yes, you're right if you want to be pedantic and you are super pedantic if that's the way you do historical accuracy. Instead, it's the big things. Did this person actually do that thing, say that thing, act in that way? And if they're a, pers a big person in history, you could change your view on that entire era if you've done wrong by them, if you like. So, that's all I'm going to say on this occasion. This covers everything. You could listen to this episode now or in five years' time, and you'll still hear me kind of hitting this these points on various different topics across all kinds of areas. This is the core of Condensed Histories, and thanks very much for listening. As always, another episode coming soon.